Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we are honored to welcome Representative Ron Noble. Uh, Representative, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so we're down here in McMinnville in your office. Um, beautiful drive out this evening. And uh, so why don't you just take, start off, just take a couple minutes to introduce yourself, tell you, you know, about your district, how you got into politics. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not sure there. just a couple of minutes to discuss my district would do it, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I graduated from Dallas High School, so I've, I've been in the Willamette Valley for about 50 years. Uh, absolutely love it. Um, grew up in Polk County. Now we work in Yamhill County, um, but I've lived in Salem and up into Beaverton and, and just uh, really, really love uh, Oregon. I uh, Fast forward after high school and college, I was a Corvallis police officer for 18 years, and uh Worked a whole host of different assignments, um, and then got up into management and made the switch to McMinnville to be their police chief for eight years. Uh, when I retired, I went to Linfield College and uh, kind of transformed their security from a uh, control the student, at least the, the intent was from control the student to providing a safe environment for education. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it may sound s- semantics, but really sometimes it is on, on how you approach your job. Uh, was asked to run for House District 24 back in 2016. And, um, so I've been, I'm on my third term. Absolutely love serving in the legislature. So I got to ask, serving as, as chief of police, I'm sure there's a, a different amount of internal politics and working with, you know, local elected officials in, in, in a number of various capacities. Had you been particularly politically active or were, were there issues or a single issue that you were, you know, really focused on? And you said, great, I have this opportunity to get to the legislature and, and really make a difference. I don't know. This, well, no, no single opportunity. Law enforcement is political. If you sure. haven't seen the headlines, it is today. Yeah. But I can <laughs> yes, tell you sir. that even even working the street twenty, well, thirty years ago, um, it's still political, and definitely police chief is political. Sure. Um, and in that, not everybody likes what you do, mm-hmm. um, and one person may like you one day and maybe not the next, just based on the circumstances. Which sounds like but politics. The whole sure. nature, the whole nature of the job is confrontational and. And conflict resolution. And when you, when you're confronting people, a lot of the times you're, yeah, you're going to have people. I, I've, I've seen, you know, leftists online talk about how nobody, there's no songs about F the fire department. It's like, well, yeah, cause the, the, the nature of the job is completely different. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, there's nobody who's pro fire on the, on the fire department. <laughs> no, but, but you know, being, I, here's, here's the connection I found in being in the legislature. It's like being a good street cop. Hmm. It's, it's, identifying a problem, and then trying your best to understand how somebody else views the problem. doesn't mean you have to agree, but if you can understand how somebody else views a problem, you get a connection. 
And um, it gives you the best chance to at least have a dialogue then to better understand because uh, nobody sees the problem 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I come at it with my view. You would come at it with your view. But if we could talk about it, then maybe we can resolve it. So that's it's interesting, honest, and this is segueing a little bit away from your your legislative career and your here here in your district. Uh, but I, for us in Portland, we've gone through a, a year of some pretty serious protests, garnered a lot mm-hmm. of national media attention, and taken a, the mayor and city council have taken a number of votes to to defund the police to reduce the funding available. You've seen stories of officers taking early retirement, some people job vacancies, you know, being open and not being filled. Um, and there's been we just passed the record for a number of homicides in the city of Portland. And it's this was late Ever. October. Ever. And yeah, oh, yeah, and it's we still have two more months to go, unfortunately. Um, now there's a movement. Ted Wheeler says he wants to have the budget to increase and hire more officers and even city councilors. I think Dan Ryan and Mingus Maps have said they want to increase and have more officers. So it seems like the pendulum is swinging the other direction. Have you had a, a any strong opinion on you know, either the defund the police movement to start or now kind of the, the movement to say maybe, you know, let's, let's get great training. Let's have, make sure that our officers are doing what's a able to understand somebody's situation, even if they're not necessarily in agreement with it, but you still need actual officers out there enforcing the law. I absolutely have strong opinions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the discussion that I mentioned earlier, the ability to discuss, um, and collaborate and understand was my role as vice chair of the judiciary, House Judiciary Committee. Okay. Um, cause we dealt with police issues and criminal justice issues and working with Chair Bynum. Um, who would have thought that a African American woman and a old white retired cop could actually come together and work together to get some, some progress? And, and, um, it's, I remember working, um, before all of these extra things were tossed onto the police. Now, I, mm-hmm. I started in the late 80s, and um, we had still, we were putting uh, people with mental health issues in institutions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the wrong thing. And, and it was the right thing to do to close the institutions. But we provided no supports on the street. So There's police no officers yeah, became yeah. the mental health workers on the street. Yeah. There were no increase in, in any county mental health departments. There were no no supports at all. So you fast forward a whole nother generation and we have behavioral health issues on the street and somehow we're going to take money away from police officers. By the way, we never gave them extra money to deal with that problem to, to do begin a with. a whole second job. I worked in two communities that um, I would twist the words that I would say that we were one of the most efficient police departments around because if you look at the officers per capita, both Corvallis and McMinnville for the size cities, we were on the lower end. Mm-hmm. So... I just would, I mean, we're efficient, um, as opposed to shorthanded. Sure. Um, because our goal is to, to, to really to make the community safe. So as we're going into this defund the police, I have no issue whatsoever in putting more, more funding and more resources into mental health issues, addiction recovery issues, mm-hmm. domestic violence issues. So we can actually prevent them from becoming police issues to begin with. But when you take the money from the police department, who never got the money to begin with to deal with the issues, mm-hmm. you have what's happening in Portland. And now you're looking for ways to stop real crime, shootings, robberies, burglaries, people getting hurt because you don't have the resource. And, um, you know, there were, there are plenty of opportunities to imp- improve policing. And, and we took those on, not 
punish policing, but actually give them the ability to do their job, mm-hmm. improve the standard, hire men and women of the highest character, um, and then ensure that they stay well, that they um, make it through any vicarious trauma issues or real trauma that they experience. And then it, it's not shameful to actually no longer be qualified to be a police officer. No different than the military. You could be just, you could be the point man. And then at some point, you shouldn't be point anymore. You're oh, yeah. And there's really not much of a difference. Um, I think there's a difference between combat and policing. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. There should sure. be, yeah. Sure. <laughs> there absolutely, absolutely is. I was, I've never been in combat, but I've been in some pretty serious, tricky situations in policing. Two different environments, but the trauma that a person goes through is similar. Yeah. And that, um, after a while, maybe there's a better fit in a different line. And, and, um, our system doesn't allow for that right now. And hopefully mm. some of the changes we've made allow for that to, to happen. Smoother well, transition. I think that was one of the concerns of the defund the police movement. Um, and so, I mean, again, trying to see it from their perspective and, and digging behind the headlines because yeah, defund the police is a stupid idea. But when you dig into the headlines, they're talking about like the militarization of the police. Um, and I think a lot of that is like surplus gear from the military and, you know, as, as someone who served in the military, seeing the, when police become the military, you know, the citizens become the enemy. Absolutely. That means the, it's, it's not brand new. Right. But the idea of a guardian as opposed to military makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. My view is that the military is what gave us the constitution, protects the constitution. The police help to implement the constitution. Yeah. And it's the other side of the fence. And um, that's important to protect people's rights, constitutional rights, laws. The military provides that constitution for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're here in your wonderful district. We're here in, uh, in McMinnville. Um, what, are, what are the issues that McMinnvilleites, McMinnvillians? It's the same as Oregon. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I've Mc, never known the denominator. I guess I'm just realizing this. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. The whole area? The good folks of, yeah, right. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the things that are top of mind? What are some of the things I were in your office? And I, the YouTube viewers can't see, but we've got this, um, this, uh, whiteboard right here that's got all the bills you've been working on that, that you mentioned before we started recording. Mm-hmm. A lot of whom, uh, are a lot of which have been, citizen influenced and citizen yes. written and everything. What, what are some of the issues that you see here in, um, in a, in a, in an area, in a county, in a district that's, you have some urban, you have some rural, you have ag issues, you have road issues, you have water issues. What are the things that are kind of top of mind for, for you and your constituents? It's, it's really a microcosm of the state. Okay. Um, we have behavioral health issues. We have, um, youth suicide issues. Um, it, there's a bunch of bills there, but if you pick, we've, we've got, uh, a youth support, suicide support for youth. Okay. We've got, uh, domestic violence and human trafficking issues. And there's a bill up on that board that, a that a person who used, had been trafficked came to me and, um, had some ideas on how the system failed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to buy, provide some strength. Transportation issues. Um, if you didn't have transportation problems getting to McMinnville, <laughs> tonight then, then I think you're pretty fortunate yeah, you're right. I was I was uh, complaining about 26 the whole way down here how yeah. none of the lights are timed and or not 26 99, uh, 99, 99. 99. Oh, yeah. none of the lights are timed you hit every single light on the way oh, yes. in here <laughs> yes. I'm like it's, I feel like a, Come a, on. a small <laughs> yeah. computer could fix this problem and make that yeah. anyway yeah but, th- but then there's I mean it's we have manufacturing uh, we have rural and agriculture I mean you're sitting right in the heart of wine country oh yeah not just wine though We've got hazelnuts, we've got cattle, we've got 
all kinds of crops in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then you take a look at housing issues. You know, McMinnville, Newburgh, the area here has has have issues with housing. And then most recently, I went on a, a tour with all of our small cities in the county. That we have water issues. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't think normally that the Willamette Valley has water issues, but we do. And part of it is infrastructure. And we have small towns that infrastructure is 100, 200 years. Well, not 200, but 100, 150 years old. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be replaced. Uh, so there... It's really not much different than, you know, the rest of Washington County um, that I don't uh, serve or down into Polk County or even Marion County. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a lot of people that are uh, politically um, on both ends of the spectrum that um, I, I think are just looking for some hope. Um, right now, there's there's a lot of, uh, well, I, you know, I'm a moderate in the legislature. Sometimes it feels pretty lonely. <laughs> um, and, and I say that in jest because that, that means my friends are on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And I'd like to think no matter where I landed on the political spectrum, that would be the case. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the issues are, are the same. We spent a lot of time, as I mentioned earlier, on judiciary issues. Um, but I also serve on health care and human services and transportation and um the wonderful conduct committee this year, which dealt with some conduct issues in the House of Representatives. There was plenty of issues to deal with. Yeah. I have an idea what you're (laughs) alluding to there. That will happen. So who would you think, uh, just, I don't know if you care to name names of your, your friends across the aisle, you know, moderate Democrats who, you know, might be not Republican, but. So, so (laughs) here's, here's the deal. You know, I, I co-sponsor bills with Bill Post. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've co-sponsored bills with Rob Nose. Um, so I, I don't know that. And then, you know, Brian Clem and uh, Paul Evans, but then also um, trying to think of uh, Raquel Moore Green. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I don't know that I would pick, it's not limited to just what we would necessarily quantify as modern Democrats. Um, you pick a, a topic and there's someone there that we're going to meet. Um, sure. You know, Bill Post's uh, bill on pseudofedrin. And mm-hmm. being able to get it over the counter like everyone else and actually allowing us to track it on federal registries that Oregon hasn't been was an important one. Um, and then uh, in 2018, I joined uh, Rob Nose on pharmaceutical transparency bill. Okay. Now, Rob and I know he would like to start pharmaceutical pricing. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't go that far. I'm not the yeah. <laughs> But we can absolutely agree on trans- transparency and try to mm-hmm. reduce the cost and increase access. And that's the same with, with healthcare in general, where we will always agree to a point. And then, then we have different ideas on how to solve the, the remaining problem. Well, and, you know, that's the old adage is my, my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy. And I, exactly. especially working across the aisle, maybe my 10% friend is not my 90%. But still, it's like if, if you've got issues and you've got work that can be done on which there is agreement, like, hey, let's, let's take care of this and then argue about the rest of the stuff later. And I, we've had actually Bill Post, Nevada's newest resident Bill Post right. on, uh, on the show before. And he, you know, he was kind enough to tell us some stories after we had done recording. He said, like, this Democrat, like, I really like this person. I really like this person. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful to hear, especially from somebody who is farther to the right. He's, you know, farther, farther out on the spectrum than I think either James or I are. Um, 
But he still had these really great relationships and you know, had some similar stories of if there is an issue, then I'm able to go find and work somebody with. And even if there's not, he said, even if I don't like your politics, I can still be your friend. We exactly. can still talk and exactly. build a relationship. And that's what's missing sometimes. I think people don't realize that happens more in the capital probably than people realize. Okay. You know, it, I mean, the politics are more – sometimes they're more um, – in your face outside the Capitol than they are inside. We all know where we stand. I mean, uh, everybody knows that we'll talk to Ron because he'll probably support this. Don't bother talking to him because of this. And I've had uh, senators uh, working across the, the, you know, the, the other side of the, the Capitol come to me with, I think I've got a bill you like, and I've got some other ones that you're not going to like, you know, and that's <laughs> cool. And Let that, me read that them. happens with, yeah. with Tina Kotek. It happens with, I mean, and then it also happens sometimes with some of my colleagues on in my caucus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we have such a divisive and crazy atmosphere nationwide now is because people don't talk face to face. You know, when, when you have a conversation with somebody you don't disagree with and you're looking them in the eyes, it's much harder to start throwing insults and get tribalistic. And, um, when, and I, I think that's one of the benefits of, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that because I, I, I can see it happening where, you know, when you're having a conversation with Tina Kotak about something you disagree with that you don't, you don't go to insults. You know, you, you talk about the issues because the person, the human being is sitting right in front of you and, you know, we, we miss that a lot with social media and 24 hour news cycle yeah. and the comment sure. section and, sure. and comment section yeah. and YouTube videos and, yeah. and, well, and people pick up on the, the headlines mm-hmm. and those are always going to be the areas where we disagree. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I can point to the special session we had where it blew up in the disagreement. Um, but, um, you know, for the most part, we all know where we stand. What, what's missing sometimes outside of the Capitol is people label you and put you in a group mm-hmm. and then they're not willing to talk to you at all about things that you actually can work, to, work well together on. Um, yeah. and then the other side will consider you a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, because, because if you don't think like me, then you're not, you know, so it's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that I, I wish we would could change. And I, I'm hopeful that we can change over the long run and get back to agree to disagree and the majority wins. And if yeah. you don't like it, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the way we were founded. You it's know, like this is the idea um, the whole time. Yeah. yeah. This, we're going to have everybody gather, air our ideas out, put it out there. And unless you're Bernie Sanders and you think you have 48 senators, so that counts as a majority Well, that's, <laughs> for everybody else. Yeah. It's like, if you actually have a majority, then that's going to be the idea that wins. Well, and and if we all thought the same, we could go with an emperor and be done with the rest of it. Right. Just, yeah. Just make a king and we're done. Uh, but we don't. Yeah. And the government allows us to even, you know, I, people get, have a right to say things that I think are foolish and mm-hmm. people have a right to come with ideas that actually might change my mind and show me as foolish. The idea of saying foolish things is exactly how we started this podcast. And I, we thank God for that right, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to say anything. Well, you know, it's the First Amendment only matters when you're offended. You know, that sort of thing. Exactly. Like, if we all agreed and we we're all nice to each other and we we're all politically correct, we don't need the First Amendment. Well, you know, you you you, you hit that because we would not need a law against murder if nobody murdered. Right. Yeah, exactly. Only exactly. when it happens. Yep. So, appreciate that's, that. Yeah, that's always the way it goes. Um, so we, uh, 
still here. And, uh, one of the contentious issues that, uh, that you had discussed was the, um, the redrawing of the maps. Uh, every, everybody's seat has changed. Everybody's alliance mm-hmm. have changed. And, uh, anybody running in 2022 is now, you're going to lose some of the constituents that you had represented. You're going to gain some new constituents that you'd represented. Um, and we've obviously the big news in Oregon is we we've now got a sixth congressional district. We've gone from five to six, first mm-hmm. time in forty years. And the the new CD six is is going to be here in here in your neck of the woods, right? Um, one of the things that we have uh, you know we've discussed it's uh, by the time this episode airs, it's going to be public knowledge is that you are planning to run for that sixth congressional district. I am. Um, what is it about serving, uh, serving Oregon at a federal level rather than a state level and specifically getting the chance to serve, continue to serve here the people of your district, the people that you, you know, you've represented for the last half decade or so, uh, at the federal level? What draws you to that? It's, it's really an opportunity to take, I believe, what I've grown over the last, uh, well, the three terms that I'm in the state, state legislature mm-hmm. and, and which is, I just got to put this, it draws on everything I've done my whole life uh, sure. from, from law enforcement to raising a family and my grandkids, but also the time in the legislature of, of um, I, I hope I have the reputation of someone who's thoughtful, who's willing to listen, who stands his ground when he needs to. And uh, I represent my district and uh, district 24 in the house is right now, as it stands today, is 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it swings, you know, one point Democrat, sometimes goes back one point Republican, uh, but it's really 50-50. And most voters are, are um, not registered. Uh, excuse me. They, they're uh, not affiliated. Unaffiliated. Yeah. Right. They are registered. Otherwise, it wouldn't be voters. <laughs> they wouldn't be <laughs> but, but they're, they're unaffiliated. So it's, it's really my job is to represent the district. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that opportunity now in Congress to represent the district. The place where I've spent the last 50 years of my life, um, going to school, um, law enforcement, uh, being a, you know, working in other areas. My wife grew up in the, the Beaverton area. So we've, I mean, this is home. And, uh, I think I have that ability, the reputation. I'd like to take what I have grown in Oregon to DC. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I can remember, well, I, can't remember honestly it's been kind of been a long time and i i've only been here for six years but (laughs) the the influence that oregon used to have at the federal level was titanically outsized when we when bob packwood was in the senate gordon smith was in the senate tom mccall was in the senate even the the years that greg walden had i I think while obviously a, a minority on the right it was four democrats and him but the outsized level of influence i i Greg Walden could have been Speaker of the House if he wanted to be. I mean, that, it's a it's a massive amount of footprint for somebody, you know, a state that's, you know, about as far away from D.C. as you can get and about as unlike D.C. as you can get in terms of, you know, culture and politics and everything. Um, but I know uh, we've, we, you know, we've met Congressman Bentz and I'm sure you've met or spoken with him as well. And I it would be, truly be wonderful to have, you know, at least two Republicans. We'll see how the rest of the, the races shake out and everything. But to try to get Oregon back to that place where you do have the ability to control the narrative and shape some conversations and really be able to get good bills passed. Um, I guess I'd, I guess I'd be curious for your thoughts on how, how much work have you done with uh, Senator Benz when he was Congressman Benz, when he was a state Senator, when, when he was in the house, well, that's, you know, what's that my first term in the house, Cliff Benz served in the house. Perfect. Okay. And, oh. um, his specialty then was transportation, which is near and dear to my heart. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. 
after he left and a few others, that's one of my other assignments is, is co-vice chair of the Joint Transportation Committee, which really is overseeing the implementation of the bill we passed, transportation bill in, uh, we passed in 2017. Okay. Which Cliff Bentz had a lot to do with. Um, so yes, yes, we worked together. I've been on the phone with him because I don't, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could call it maybe part of my cop sense. I don't just jump in without some sense of what I'm jumping some into. Some amount of, yeah. I got to sure. do some recon. Um, so I've talked to him and some others about, you know, from, you know, what is it like from mm-hmm. campaigns? What is it like relationship wise? And what does life look like? I've got a wife. I've got children. Um, I've got one still at home. Um, and then grandkids and I'm not willing to sacrifice my family. Um, I'm willing to, we're willing to make changes. But the family's all part of it. So a lot of conversation, a lot of um, soul searching, and then making sure that I have the skills that I can take with me to actually have an impact for Oregon. Wonderful. Do you, do you have any issues or projects that you think would be really interesting to work on at the federal level that you weren't able to, I mean, that maybe they aren't, aren't relevant or, you know, not really jurisdiction at the state level? Well, if you take a look at, at the issues in our society right now, um, state or federal level, and it's still... Policing is an issue at the federal level. Mm-hmm. The House passed a bill. The Senate's been sitting on it. Um, the bill has some good things in it. I'm kind of glad that the Senate hasn't passed it yet mm-hmm. uh, because there's some things that, that I, I'd love to have some input I hear, on. I hear they're busy with some other legislation right now. <laughs> they are. I, they I, are. Okay. You know, there's, and, and then take a look at healthcare. You know, sure. healthcare is, is, uh, probably the, the greatest example of government controlled, either regulated or actually I mean, controlled through both Medicare and Medicaid and then regulation. Um, and so having a chance to be, um, a fellow through the, the National, um, Conference of State Legislators in healthcare to learn more about what it looks like nationwide. My, my time in human services, we just talked addiction. We talked uh, child abuse, domestic yeah. violence, service for seniors. That's what I've been doing for the last five years. And that is what our issues are nationwide. You know, so, so really, uh, as I talked about, as I talked about whether or not I have the skills, those are the issues we're dealing with as a nation. Uh, well, and I, it, it's funny that you specifically touch on education. So I was a low level grunt staffer for, uh, Newt Bueller in his race in 2018. And that was one of the things that he harped on a lot was the fact that Oregon ranks so low in, high school graduation rates and, you know, all mm-hmm. well behind to say, obviously to say nothing of the fact that there are many, many instances of mental health issues, uh, crisis issues, uh, teens dying by suicide, a, a number of different things that are obviously super hampering factors, uh, to, to actually having a better education system. We were just listening on the way down. The, the gubernatorial election is tomorrow in Virginia as right. we sit and record this. Um, and that's one of the things that the Republican nominee, Glenn Youngkin, has been harping on is over and over and over is education, especially after the, the year of coronavirus where, be, you know, kids are at, at school wearing masks and education looks different. We just had a year of Zoom classes where that's any white paper will be able to tell you that that is a hindrance in furthering a child's education. It's even more of a hindrance if you are lower income, minority, single parent, any of a number of things where it's we're we're hurting the most the the individuals who are least able to be hurt and it's something that republicans never talk about it's something that people on our side never we always just well, the, see the, the left, issue the left has always kind of owned education yeah. and i think it's it is i think you're absolutely right it's very interesting that that it's now kind of switching back to kind of a republican issue and 
But you're right. Republicans aren't going to be able to provide the answer. It's going to have to be something together. Absolutely. Um, Because we're just not equipped in our minds to have the whole answer. You you mentioned graduation rates. Um, Having worked in an institution of higher education, I I couldn't get a direct answer, but I have the strong sense that Mm -hmm. graduation really – means less than where you graduated from. Hmm. So if you get a diploma from high school X versus a diploma from high school, you know, Z, Mm -hmm. um, one college administrator will say, okay, X, so here's the remedial classes you'll need. (laughs) Z, here are the honors classes you'll need. So I think we're still, the grading system of, of high school graduation I don't, I think it's flawed to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we put a lot of money into schools. I mean, we may be last in graduation rate, but we're not last in funding. And so there is, there is a way we can fix this. Um, I don't have all the answers. I think I have something to add to the conversation. Wasn't um, it? Kate Brown was trying to boost the numbers by reducing the requirements to graduate, right? It was another thing that came out recently. Like you no longer have to pass reading and it was, math. It was, it was the, the the irony truly and i mm-hmm. you know i don't like that we actually I, I don't like removing those requirements but when they were actually put into place again they were switched republicans said why are you doing this you know the sim and the cam mm. and just teach our kids and get them through don't teach to the test so this takes and removes the test that we were teaching to so we're we're, we're still the system is still broken. The system <laughs> yeah. is still broken. Um, and we need, we need to come together to fix it and, and not make it. It became a political us, you know, me versus you, Republican versus Democrat. It didn't matter what one side was doing. The other side was going to not like it. Um, and that's, that's the part that in DC that I'm hoping that I can have an impact on. Well, and it, it really very, and, it, and it's funny because you kind of mentioned the, a little bit about the capital culture and I, we had a, um, we had an episode just this past Monday with one of your, one of your actual primary opponents for CD6. Um, and one of the stories I mentioned was that I, I worked on Capitol Hill and it's no, you know, it's not at all unheard of. Everybody's got friends across the aisle. And I was in kickball leagues with Democrat staffers and Republican staffers. Mm-hmm. We'd go to, you know, the, the cheap bars. You can get a $2 beer with Democrat staffers and Republican staffers. The main partisanship issue was House people versus Senate people. House people thought the Senate <laughs> people would walk around like they didn't stink any at all. And the Senate people would look at the House people like these lowly, these peons. I, all you can do is work for a congressman. <laughs> so like that was a far more partisan issue than Republicans versus Democrats. But you really do end up at in a behind closed doors kind of setting, having the ability to really have good, meaningful, fun, engaging conversations. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, something comes on CNN or something comes on Fox News, all the Republicans go to one side and all the Democrats go to one side. And it's it makes it infinitely harder to actually get good work done, because in this particular case, like it like you just said, Democrats or the Republicans were the ones who were against standardized tests in the first place. And now we're against the removing of the standardized test. And uh, Republicans will always say, like, we want better education. We want to make sure that our system works and is serving our students and we get them through and get them where they need to be. But 
you flip flopped on the issue and it's you, you, which one is it? Either you standardized tests help or standardized tests don't help, but you need to be consistent. And both parties do. Both and, parties oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's part of the nature of, of the game. And, and I'm okay if, if you're actually learning and growing mm-hmm. and you have found a better way and decide, um, you know, let's, let's change. Let's move forward. Um, but, but it's almost a game. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And, and believing that somehow, an NBA player from one team and an NBA player from the other team, and I won't get into naming players who just battle it out on the court and may even push and shove and may then go out to dinner together the next day because they're friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's people miss that part. Um, it's like, you know, I'm a duck, I'm a beaver. Just had to bring that up from earlier, <laughs> you know, um, but you're still both sitting so, here. To be fair, you know? Nick, is, <laughs> Nick is not really a beaver. He's, I'm, I married, I married, I went to the University of Texas, but I married up. So I get to, anytime there's a good civil war game or anything like that, I'm, I'm just as enamored with it. So in my office at the Capitol, which I can't get to because of the construction, I've got a beaver helmet. Yes. Mm. All right. To, to remind me of the NCAA record for consecutive losing seasons. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I was walking into something there. Okay. But, but I did, when I was in Corvallis, I worked with the athletic department and I remember when Jonathan Smith was playing, not just coaching. Okay. But I also have a Linfield helmet. Which signifies sixty-five straight winning seasons, winning seasons yes, which they just is a set record, the record at yeah. all levels. Yo, yeah. So you know, um, we could we could get together. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that's like Republicans and Democrats in Oregon. We have yeah, one team that loses go. a lot and one team that wins a lot. <laughs> I know you, we we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but I was just wondering if you could elaborate maybe a little bit more. Um, again, Portland metro area, the police have been really front and center over the last you know year and a half, two years, uh, and like I said, I think that some on the left. Do have some inter- some some points, some some valid criticisms, but I feel like you you either have to be a. I mean, the narrative is you're either a hundred percent Antifa supporter, or you kind of support police being able to do whatever they want to whomever they want, whenever they want. Mm-hmm. And so, I wonder if you had any kind of. I know you have strong feelings, but any kind of like practical solutions or ideas that maybe can rein in some of that perceived abuse by police while you're still supporting the police department and well, not all of it's perceived you wrote well, sure okay sure i've worked with some officers who shouldn't be working and i've watched officers do the right thing and still get crucified mm-hmm. there there are people in our society you would think after a couple hundred years we could get it right but we haven't yet mm-hmm. they've been marginalized they're kicked to the side and it's for things that they don't control and um it's not right and then there are police officers who are the most visible part of government. Um, the thing that really bugs me is that people in my position somehow have separated themselves from police departments mm. and police officers. But mm. you know who the authority comes from? It's the legislature. Yeah. Oh. We make the laws. We even make the law that creates the police officer. And then we tell them what their qualifications are and go forth. And then we rake them over the coals for using that <laughs> discretion. Doing, I mean, yeah. Uh, I've heard legislators say, well, they only stopped him for a tail light out or a license plate light out. Well, you made the law. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> right. if you don't think that's right, get rid of the law. Yeah. It's that it, for me, it's, it's kind of black and white, but there's, there are people out there that do nothing but agitate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where law enforcement is act. Now you, you can't, 
it's not the military, and it's not right for the military to think of it's just collateral damage. Well, we got the bad guys, and a couple of good guys got hurt too. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. acceptable. So there are some things that need to happen. And um, I can tell you, I mentioned um, Janelle Bynum, uh, the chair of judiciary. I know that just as I got, I get feedback that says I went too far with supporting police reform. She has all kinds of feedback saying you didn't go far enough with police reform. So we kind of figure we, maybe we hit the right spot. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's some laws that will probably, there's, there's one that we'll, we'll address in the short session. Uh, not because I think we got it wrong, but because we need to make it absolutely clear that the intent is that Portland doesn't not do anything. Mm-hmm. That the, that law doesn't say that. That's not the intent. So we'll clarify it to make sure it's right. But the police officer in a spot now to where if, he or she acts, she's called on the carpet. Yeah. And if he or she doesn't act, they're called on the carpet. Yeah. So where's the greater risk to their livelihood, their home, their family, and, and maybe prosecution? By acting or not acting? Act, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's that's what we're putting on our officers on the street. Yeah. It's a lack. And I, I don't I don't know personally. I just, it it appears to be a lack of leadership at the top. I have the utmost confidence they'll get it. I need to have that confidence that they'll get it right, that that the chief and the Portland City Commission will come together. Um, I have my own thoughts on the governance structure of Portland, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but but be a much you know, longer I need to be optimistic that those conversations will still come together, yep. that Portland will heal. Um, a little over a year ago, I don't remember even who the interview was with. It may have been OPB talking about uh, we were in a hundred days of of uh, riot. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. And the interview I was related or uh, talking about was um, someone asked this uh, person. I don't remember where he was a professor who studies criminology and just um, what can we expect in Portland after a hundred days of riot? He says no one's ever done that before. Yeah. Detroit didn't riot for a hundred days yeah. and look what happened to Detroit. Cleveland didn't riot for a hundred days and Detroit is, you could still say has not recovered still. That would be absolutely tragic for Portland not to recover, mm-hmm. but we're seeing fewer conferences at the convention center. Yep. We're seeing people not coming to Oregon wine country because they don't know what's going on because tourism is not just static. They come into Portland, maybe a convention and they travel to wine country. Then maybe they go out to the coast. Mm-hmm. They've hit three different tourism areas just because of one trip. So we need Portland to heal. Rural Oregon needs Portland to heal. So, well, yeah. certainly. And obviously, I, I'm sure uh, I, I keep looking at the camera, but right behind the camera is a map of what your district yeah. is. And your district is in some large part is going to be based on tourism. There's going to be a lot of tourism that comes through wine country, a lot of restaurants, everything like that, you know, hotel stays, Airbnb mm-hmm. stays, everything. And to your point, now it's not a matter of, you know, riots or not riots in Portland. And, you know, well, it's just a Portland thing that they'll, you know, they'll figure it out because the, the cascading effect on so many small local businesses, I uh, obviously many of whom, Absolutely. if not all of them are your constituents, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, like, you guys need to be getting this right because we need to a good chunk of revenue comes from people coming in for conferences, people coming in because they watch Portlandia and they want to check it out and what <laughs> go through. I don't, I don't know, whatever. No, that's be. very possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it all, it all cascades down 
And it's, you know, this is, I think they're start, I think they're yeah. starting to realize it. And I've, I've seen some articles about Ted Wheeler's, I mean, again, refunding right. the police. Right. They're talking about making city camping illegal. They're going to start, you know, cleaning up the camps. Uh, I think they more, most recently there's a $40 million overage in business taxes from Multnomah County that they're going to, that they're going to put toward homelessness. And so whether or not they are able to do it with their, you know, governance structure as you as you put it um is to be determined but i think that even those even the ted wheelers of the world are starting to realize that this is a problem that needs to get fixed and they can't just keep sweeping it under the rug so right and, and the key will be how they fix it yeah uh because it would be tragic to actually just cover it up and fix it and move on and have the same thing flare up in a couple of years yeah because there are like i said there are truly people that have been marginalized if we don't come up with some way to increase the housing supply, we will always have a housing problem. And it's not going to be – even if we started building today, it's going to be five years before we get another 200,000 homes in the state mm-hmm. because it's going to take that long it takes to that find long to, to build. land to build. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're sitting in McMinnville. We have all class class one farmland around us. There is we're, – we're about done until we start building high rises, and yeah. that's not going to happen here. So there's – and there's other cities like that, that there are, there's just no buildable land. We have to figure out something, protect our farmland, build homes. That way we, people can, can have homes and, and you're not paying an exorbitant amount uh, for, you know, for housing. Well, I, you know, we can ask Mr. Future Metro Counselor here about the, uh, <laughs> the urban go. growth boundary and, you know, any thoughts he's got on that. But I, that's yeah, obviously I it's an extremely hampering factor for the city of Portland. And, I, and to your point, it's one of those things where everyone recognizes – Housing costs way too much. I costs have gone up astronomically. I when I moved here in 2015, they still build Portland as the last affordable city on the West Coast. When was the last time you heard somebody talk about Portland as being affordable? Like it's just no. it's not anymore. No. Just period. It's, full stop. There, there's a balance, and I think that's where legislators and and you know public officials come into play, especially again urban growth boundary because that's where we live. Um, but. You don't want Portland to turn into Houston where there's just no limits and you just drive Absolutely for not. hours in all directions. But at the same time, when you have this artificial constraint of weird zoning rules that prevent you from building out and you have to build up, you, you end up with, with housing crisis and, well, and insane and other, housing prices. The other part of that is we need to strengthen the economy so people's wages go up. Yeah. Also very true. true. Um, you know, there's, there's two sides of that equation as far as I can't afford a house. Well, either the housing price needs to come down or the wages or, need to yeah. go up. One and, of those levers. And um, government's not good at balancing that out. Mm-hmm. There needs to be private interest, private on both sides as far as building the economy, which includes the housing, getting people into homes. Yeah. So deregulate a little bit. And we've had this discussion too. Like you can't just say deregulate and just chop all regulations. You know, there no. are, there are good regulations. There are, there <laughs> Absolutely. are hindrance reg- regulations, but yeah, deregulate a little bit. Cause this is one of the problems in Portland is just the red tape to build anything is insane. The, the permitting, the, you know, thousands of dollars in permitting for ADUs and just minor changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, you know, I own a garage door business and was doing an estimate for this guy who had been working on his remodel for over two years and he was waiting on permits. Like he was still waiting on permits. He's like, yeah, the, the guy from the county is supposed to come in this week or maybe three weeks from now to inspect the, the final inspection and then we can put the garage door in. So, um, 
Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. It's stuck in a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, I'd like to say I like Port- Portland to turn into Houston a little bit. Houston's got really good food, and they have eight lane highways <laughs> oh. where people don't drive fifty five in the left lane. So that, <laughs> this is, let's, let's let's give Houston a little bit of credit here because they, they got some good stuff going on. Well, so what I was referring to, I know you're joking, know, but yeah. the the complete lack of zoning at all, and so people just build whatever wherever, and right. it just kind of spider webs out from. Although I honestly, I think Portland is going to be kind of a unique test case because we've got, we do have the urban growth boundary and I, everything is five or six miles away, not connected by a ton of highways. But now that everybody's, you know, post COVID, there's a ton of jobs that are just going to be permanently work from home. Who knows? Maybe you don't mind if you live in Wilsonville because you don't, you're not going to commute into downtown well, anyway. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you, the traffic still sucks during rush hour. So, <laughs> well, that's anyway. something we can, we'll, we'll have a whole nother podcast on what we'll have you just there don't we talk, about we talk about transportation issues. Transportation, yeah. COVID, broadband, it. and let's do it. I, um, but I do know we're coming up on the end yeah. of our, uh, on the end of our time here. Uh, we always like to end our podcast by asking, asking our guests who their favorite Republican is. So if, if you had to pick one, living or dead, Oregon International, who's the first person that comes to mind? Okay. So, so this is going to be a personal story. Hit me. Because my favorite Republican, uh, several in my family, but I'm going to pick my grandfather. Okay. Who was a state's attorney in Southern Illinois during prohibition. No kid. Okay. Um, all kinds of stories of politics. As I was growing up, I can his, imagine. Yeah, one of his good friends was Everett Dirksen. Really? Uh, wow! Who's had a Senate building named after yes, him? Yes, he has. Yeah, I've got his admission to the or, the uh, excuse me Illinois bar signed by Adlai Stevenson. Oh my god! And um, <laughs> probably if there's somebody, and, and it's not just him. I mean, I've I've got family all over the country, but um, he probably piqued my interest in politics just growing up and hearing stories of. Of the politics of small Southern mm-hmm. Illinois, um, and working with judges in counties, and just uh, and then you know with his friend who went off to D.C. That's yeah, absolutely. Well, and, I, and everybody always, you know, people love to point out Ronald Reagan or Abraham Lincoln or Tom McCall, and you point to these big inspirational. No, nothing against any of them, believe me. And I, we've had a number of guests say all three of those people actually. But you have these big, lofty inspiration. And there's the speeches, you know, Gettysburg Address or you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, politics is a lot more Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec than it is, you know, <laughs> Ronald Reagan with a there you go again to Jimmy Carter in the middle right. of a debate. Right. And it's it, if you've got a firsthand knowledge of, you know, what what some of those insider stories are. And it's, you know, maybe it's it's less sexy than something that makes the newspaper, makes mm-hmm. national attention on CNN or whatever. But it's it's the real deal, honest to God story of of how things get done, and you got to see firsthand how people's lives got better. That's I mean that's an absolutely incredible story, right yeah. there. Yeah, cool. Well, Representative, once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, giving us the the time. And with that, we'll end it. Listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.